Hello there, and welcome to Gooner U. My name is Dove, and my friend Keith is here to bring me up to speed on everything I don't know about soccer and Arsenal. This week featured Premier League match number two at Crystal Palace's Selhurst Park. Hello, Keith. Hello, Dove. How are you this evening? I'm fine. Are you feeling like Blind Melon? Um... There's no I'm sorry. I'm, uh, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm having I'm having a hard time catching any references to anything that doesn't involve tremendous heat. Um, I, I said I'll show you this later. I sent a, a screenshot of my weather app last night uh, to a friend of mine uh, that uh, at eight thirty about this time it's eight thirty on Monday, about twenty four hours ago, eight thirty in the evening on Sunday evening it was one o four in Houston. It has been very hot. All right. Um, this summer. So, but we're going to, br- they say it's going to break. And I think they said by Wednesday, the high will be only like 98. So, um, yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, a little bit of follow up about our, uh, <laughs> my son listening and developing a Tottenham fandom because I don't want him to. Mm-hmm. So after we finished recording, I opened up a private browsing window and signed into his YouTube account to explore. Does he see our episodes? Because it seems like sometimes he does, but then sometimes it seems like he can't. And was ready to report this week that, in fact, he cannot. That when I'm on his account, I do not see our episodes. The next morning, after I determined that, he tells me, Daddy, I like Tottenham. (laughs) (laughs) So I think what's going on is because he's a subscriber, which... Hey, you guys, you subscribe too, please. Um, because he's a smart subscriber, um, I think he gets our episodes that show up in his feed, but I don't think he can browse directly to them or something because they're not marked as being produced for children. There's something like that going on. I don't know. <laughs> I was going to say, of all, the re- of all the reasons for which a, a parent would be looking at their child's uh, YouTube account, I want to make sure he's following my show. Uh, is not what you would normally expect, but I know you, so. Um. Also, yes, we'll just chalk this up to a little bit of uh, childish rebellion and, um, you know, yeah. hope, it, hope, it, hope, hope. I was going to say adolescent, but he's not he's not there yet. So hopefully this is, no. this is we'll say, what's the phrase? It's a phase. He's just going through a phase. It's fine. Yeah, I, I don't. He was joking. Um, I, he's still a fan of Messi more than anything else. And Saka, and has actually told me that he likes Saka more than Messi um, in, in the intervening days. So, so yeah, you know, I'll take it. <laughs> good, good. There, there is actually a serious point to be made in there about, in a lot of the ways that fandom for sports in general is changing, and some sports more than others, a lot of people tra- transmitting more towards individual players. I and mean, we see it a lot with Messi and Ronaldo. The NBA does this a lot, where you have people who are mm-hmm. fans of LeBron James or Steph Curry. Rather than necessarily, they're a fan of a team insofar as a player they like is on that team. I mean, mm-hmm. The social media followings of Barcelona, PSG, and then Miami sort of in, in sequence based on Messi being there is, is evidence right. of that. So, um, but it's good to have a favorite player as well. So it's actually funny with the names that you mentioned. He also was asking me to see Ronaldo, who I've never discussed with him, but he's getting this on YouTube. I guess he wanted to watch Ronaldo and I looked up where he's playing now and he's, he apparently took the offer that Mbappe may or may not take, but he's playing in Saudi Arabia. So I don't even know yeah. where you would watch those games. So, so Ronaldo was left off, was basically asked out of Manchester United sort of around the, the World Cup break last year. And he kind of ran into this problem where 
nobody was going to pay him the money he wanted, except the Saudis who offered him a ton of money because because they can mm-hmm. and because they want him. And so they did. And so he's now in Saudi Arabia. Um I mean, that that was kind of an odd set of circumstances in terms of his age, in terms of his particular demands. I, You know, was there presumably an MLS? Off- I, there wasn't an MLS offer on the table, for example, as far as, far as I'm aware. It, I mean, in the way we know the Saudis were bidding for Messi, in fact, offered him substantially more money than MLS was going hmm. to. But, you know, he had been in conversations with Miami before, you know, there's... For some players, given the opportunity, a choice: Would you like to play in the United States or play in Saudi Arabia? Uh, for some players, that's in that's a certain decision. Also, we, we should point out, in, in fairness, I mean, Ronaldo is European, Portuguese. Saudi Arabia is not too far away from Portugal. Messi is Ar- an Argentine. Argentine. He's he's you know in the Americas, and so Miami okay. is much closer. So so interesting. That, you know, that's kind of a weird sort of. It, it could have been part of that, but I think in Ronaldo's case. That was the only substantive offer on the table, and it was how do I put this? Very substantive, I think is the best <laughs> way to say it. Um, so, in Ronaldo's case, now arguably Ronaldo is sort of the sort of broke the wall there. Like when Ronaldo went to Saudi Arabia, okay, players can go to Saudi Arabia. It's not weird, and we saw a pretty, pretty hmm. substantial exodus of players over the summer going from big European clubs. Some of them in looking for that last big payday in their career. And then some of them, you know, the Saudis wanted their star power and they were never going to get that kind of money in Europe. So why not? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, That makes sense. Well, I, this weekend, actually just yesterday, as we record today's Monday, uh, August 21st, the day of the Crystal Palace match that Arsenal won a little while ago. Um, yesterday I had, uh, rec soccer coach training and uh, this is my second time doing such training. The first time was almost, uh, two years ago. Um, I have, as far as soccer is concerned, I'm a completely different person from two years ago. So much has happened as chronicled on this show, right? You're welcome. That's all I'm going to say. You're welcome. (laughs) No, definitely. Big, 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 big part of it. Um, The majority of it, uh, if not the entirety of it. So yeah, thank you. Um, But so uh, this, this went very differently. Um, I felt like I was not completely lost the whole time. I was actually learning a lot. I was engaged more. Uh, some interesting things that came out of it. For one thing, I was talking about current events in soccer, right? Like I just watched the League's Cup final over the weekend. I watched the whole match live with my son. He got to bed very, very late, which he was very thrilled about. Um, <laughs> it, it went long. Oh, boy, what a match that was. Um, and uh, when we were talking about... So I was talking about the League's Cup. Everybody else had woken up... Instead of staying up late to watch the League's Cup, had woken up early to watch the women's world cup final. <laughs> and we're talking yeah. about that, which I did not do. Um, but apparently, um, I don't know if I think that match also went to penalties like the league's cup final did I, or did it not? <sighs> no, I, uh, Spain won. I think it was, I think it was, Oh yeah, it was one. No, I didn't, I think. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, actually, it was, yeah. Clo- it was, well, it was a close game by score. Oh, I, there I was a penalty kick. I think I don't yeah, think it went think, to a penalty shootout. But I think there was a yes. crucial penalty kick during the match that the English keeper caught or something. Yeah, I do believe I that Spain had a penalty saved, which I, I, I think that would have been the second goal, which would have salted it away. But then, of course, okay. they won anyway. So I yeah. believe it. Yeah. 
Well, so, so regardless, so we were talking about, uh, penalty kicks and the instructor, uh, of this course mentioned to me something about with the World Cup, the keeper needing to keep his or her feet on the line is a fairly new addition to penalty kicks. Is that the case? Cause I wasn't um, aware of that. So I, I, you know, I, I, I want to be very careful about contradicting your instructor because he probably reads this <laughs> stuff more. I mean, seriously, he probably reads yeah, this yeah, stuff no, more, he's, than, yeah, more than I yeah. do. Um, but, as my understanding, so the rule is the keeper has to have the feet, their feet on the line when the kick is taken. I, and I don't know if it's both feet or if just one foot. Um, mm-hmm. but I, I don't know if it's necessarily a particular rule change or uh, what they call, we'll talk about this a little bit, I think in the, in the Arsenal match, the point of emphasis, right? Something that mm-hmm. has always been on the rule book, but we've always been kind of eh, right. about. Where the ideas, especially during penalties, where the keepers will sort of step their feet off the line a split second before the shot, which is technically illegal. Now, there's only, you know, how often do they really check that? Well, during shootouts, they actually do quite a bit. I just uh, tell a, a wild story. This was, I think it was 2020. Um, I was watching New York City in the MLS playoffs against Orlando. They went to penalties. The keeper there got uh, they made a save. The shootout was over. Orlando won. But wait, VAR saw his foot come off the line. That's actually a yellow card. Oh, wow. It's a, vi- it's a violation. He's a yellow card. He had picked up a yellow during the game for time wasting. <laughs> That's the second yellow he's had. <laughs> Deja vu. Wait, wait, wait. The story gets weirder. Yeah. The team, of course, wants to sub on a new keeper. But they had used all of their subs. So oh, one no. of the outfield players had to get get on the gloves, put on the keeper <laughs> kit, had to step in as a keeper. Here's the crazier part. He made a save. Oh, my shot. God. Wow. <laughs> which it was he saved a New York City player, which was one of those, you know, just. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> that was that was kind of how that season was going. Yeah, no, that one, that game was, I mean, MLS has had some wild moments. That might be the wildest one I've seen. So, yeah. yes. The, I don't know how new that is in terms of a rule. I, I, my, I think it's been described as more of a point of emphasis. Okay. Uh, and since it, since it only comes out in shootouts, which are by their nature high, or penalties, which are high profile events, mm-hmm. they're always in the highlight package. Even, even, no matter what happens, it, and you make a highlight, that's going to be in there. And then you add, so you add the tension to that. And now you're talking about cards coming out. So it's, there's, there's, sure. a, there's an addition to that. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know about it as a rule change. Right. No, that, that, I could see that. So, yeah, uh, that, that was interesting. Um, this whole experience yesterday was my first time on the brand new field that my town built uh, last year, earlier this year. Uh, it's a brand new turf soccer field. It's got like one full size field, but then it has a bunch of additional goals and you can split the field up different ways for, for smaller games. Um, it was my first time on this like artificial turf where it's like fake blades of grass. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of knew what to expect from that, except what was really weird is I didn't know there's actually fake dirt in between the fake grass too like you look at it and it looks like fake dirt and then what i started noticing which prompted me to pay more attention to it is i saw every time the ball was kicked as it bounced on the fake grass there's like a little poof of black that would just kind of like poof into the air for for a split second after the ball landed and i look closer and yeah it's just it's very very finely ground tire rubber like, yeah, it's, like, it's tire so. rubber. It, as I understand it, that's there to help weight the field down. 
mm-hmm. with the, the turf down. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely a distinctive look. Um, and also, yeah, you said fake dirt. It's it's not dirt. Don't eat it. Uh, <laughs> and that's that's really more for that's really more for your son. Reed, don't eat I, the pellets. I don't know which is worse for you, the rubber or dirt. <laughs> I don't know about that one. <laughs> I think if if your son is eating either of those, you should have a talk with him. Probably. Look, you and I were both small children in the eighties. I can't speak to all the things we may or may not have done <laughs> under the age of six. Uh, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so let's move on to the messy room. So uh, there was the League's Cup final this weekend. Um, the first thing that is actually more in Arsenal's wheelhouse, but I noticed while watching the League's Cup final, is there was something about a UEFA Super Cup featuring Manchester City. What is the UEFA Super Cup? I never heard of that. Uh, it is, it's a lot like the Community Shield. It's a, a Super Cup, uh, the winner of, winners of two competitions. In the case of UEFA, it is the winner of the Champions League and the winner of the UEFA Cup. Or excuse me, the Europa League, which used to be. The oh, Europa okay. Cup. So in this case, they played, uh, Sevilla, who had won the, the Europa League last year. I believe won it, won in penalties, I think. They won, City won. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's one of those. It's again one of those super cups. So much like the champion, much like the Community Shield, only in this case dealing with sure. European competitions. And you know, in a case like in a team like City, it's just one more thing they are playing for because they won everything. Last yeah. Year. <laughs> uh, next up, I noticed. So we we've talked on this show about my attempts to get an Arsenal jersey last season when they were basically sold out everywhere. And so far this season has just started. I've been trying to get a keeper kit from Arsenal and they're again, just like sold out everywhere. And it seems like they never come into stock or I'm maybe not checking frequently enough. Um, I want to applaud the MLS store for the way that they handle the messy Jersey. So I wanted to get a messy Jersey for myself and for my son. Cause we're watching the Miami matches a lot. So I wanted to get a pink messy Jersey, right? Um, <laughs> they have this, this clever idea on their site, sell pre-orders, even if they're not in stock, take somebody's money to give them something at a later time, even if they're not available at the moment. It's, it's refreshing. And they tell you we'll be available no later than some mm-hmm. date in November or December, depending on whether it's the youth or the adult as of today. Um, but it's nice. I wish more would do that. I don't quite know why they don't. Yeah, that's it's an interesting choice, especially given how those are handled between the club, but also in this case the manufacturer Adidas, mm-hmm. uh, who who does both of them, does the MLS jerseys and also does, right. um, both you know, Adidas, does Arsenal's. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it is curious. I, I haven't the slightest idea. I suspect the biggest. I suspect on some level it comes down to sort of the different ways. Americans and Europeans think about commercial endeavors. It could just mm-hmm. be as simple as that. Um, it's a fascinating book. We're not going to turn this into the book soccer book club just yet, but there's a fascinating <laughs> book. Uh, it was called The Club about mm-hmm. the formation of the Premier League. I'm sure I've mentioned it on here before, but it sort of talks about this was in the early 90s um, when they in the late 80s, early 90s, and sort of just the some of the owners or, or members of the executive teams of some of these, especially the bigger European clubs, would go to the U.S. and watch an NFL game. And it's just a completely different experience in a lot of ways, in part because for in for Americans, it's it, I mean, I can't say it's more commercialized because European, you know, it, world soccer is pretty commercialized. I mean, 
<laughs> you know, oh. giant advertisement <laughs> on my, on the shirts. But yeah. there's ads on the boards everywhere. I mean, some of that is a result of having watched things like, you know, going to an NFL stadium and watching watching that game, but also just the sense of the spectacle. Like Americans Americans want a big show and the Europeans, it was hard to convince some of them of that and sort of the way some of the more forward-thinking owners, what we would see as forward-thinking owners and executives were trying to push back against a, a, a very small-c conservative environment and just, no, this is the way we've always done things. This is how we want to do it. And sort of why the, you know, and it, and it involved things like selling jerseys. It's just, you get so many of these older, you know, English man, you know, management types who are like, why would you do that? You know, mm-hmm. why would you sell jerseys? And of course you go to an American, <laughs> any American stadium. And the answer is because people want to buy them. Right. <laughs> and they buy lots of them. <laughs> so, you know, and you make money, which you can, you know, the, what's the Simpsons bit money can it be exchanged for goods and services? Um, right. <laughs> or in this case, players. <laughs> so that, yeah, it's, it's yeah. very interesting. And it's, it's the nineties. It's it, it, late eighties, early nineties. So, a while back, but some of those attitudes I think are still a little residual in in even in the English game, even in the Premier League, which is run much more like in a lot of ways run much more like an American sports league than some of the other major European some of the other mm-hmm. European or certainly the way the football league was operated until that point. Yeah. Um last question regarding the league's cup before we leave the messy room. Um, the keeper for the team that they were playing Nashville SC, he was wearing this protective headgear that I've never seen a keeper wear before. Is he extra protective of his head or does he have a condition that is causing him to be extra protective? Like what, what's the deal there? Um, I can't speak to his particular circumstances. I, I have to say off the top of my head, I'm not even sure I know his name. I didn't watch the game, so okay. uh, I, I did not. I couldn't. I'm not sure who it was, uh, but um, you'll see that sometimes. Chances are, what it means is he had some head injury in the past. Um, there's a rather famous one a guy who played for Arsenal, a guy named Peter Cech, who's uh, you know we have a, a little chat box here. I'll plug in his name so you can look him up <laughs> uh, at, a, at, a, at a later date. He, play, he uh, played most of his career for Chelsea, but actually played the last few years for Arsenal. Um, he, he wore, he had had a pretty serious head injury, um, at one point, uh, and so wore it protectively and, and just, just got comfortable in it hmm. and, uh, and just kept wearing it even after he wouldn't necessarily have, have meant to, it, was, it leads to this particularly funny incident where, so the, the video game FIFA, uh, which, you know, a lot is an entry point for a lot of people into the sport, um, they will do, they'll do the realistic sort of constructions of players' faces. And over sure. the years, players look more and more like their real selves. Uh, one of the things they're also doing is, uh, they would also do is expand the, the stories people play in. So you can actually play a role as a player or as an executive. And so they have this scene where rather than being on the field, that you're somewhat, you're, I guess, in, you're, you're the man, you're the club's manager or management and you're in there having a contract negotiation with, with your players and they have check. And of course he's not wearing a uniform. He's probably wearing a suit or something, but he's still wearing the head gear. <laughs> so it's a very bizarre kind of picture. And, you know, just the, the idea of the translation of images across the different, the different <laughs> ways they're using it in the game and just, yes, That's you would funny. wear the headgear. So that, 
It probably means he at one point suffered an injury of some sort. Um, this is the Nashville keeper and either is still using it as protection for his recovery or, you know, like Jack just, just kind of likes it. Yeah, just uh, another couple funny uh, comments during the match. I, I, I feel deserve a chuckle. Um, he has started, my son has started referring to Miami as the Pink Panthers. And apparently because of the way that I've exposed my son to music videos and largely 90s to early 2000s music videos his entire life and only very recently to soccer, he refers to David Beckham as Posh Spice's husband because he can't remember his name anyway. So, but he remembers Posh Spice. <laughs> well, there's a long line of people for whom that's actually how they refer to Beckham as well. So, uh, and <laughs> no, there is an interesting, alone. yeah, there is, there is sort of interesting, I don't want to say story, not to the relationship. Well, um, there's plenty of stories to the relationship that I don't want to get into, but like, in a <laughs> sense that she actually, I mean, it, because when he, when they, when they met, he was just David Beckham, famous footballer, handsome gentleman. But, you know, because she's much more involved in d- these different kinds of in- environments, business, fashion, she's one of the ones who got him into that and sort of has helped cultivate David Beckham businessman as opposed to just David Beckham huh. man who kicks ball. Um, so there's kind <laughs> of uh, I mean, there, there is, you know, if we're looking for the Ted Lasso connection, you know, sort of the, the character of Keely, I don't want to say she's based on on posh spice but but kind that kind of thing is someone who mm-hmm. lives in this very different world but is also rich and famous gets connected to these athletes and is able to sort of bring them into these different things that for all kinds of socio-cultural reasons they wouldn't necessarily be involved in at least not at you know at, at that point in time so sure um that's kind of a woman's role in most relationships i feel, <laughs> I feel like but it's it's good to know that it's that they're not immune <laughs> yeah I mean, again, it's one of those cases where, you know, his, his wife is just as, as rich and famous as he is. Um, right. You know, t- see Tom Brady and his, was now ex-wife, I guess, who's, you know, was or made a soon lot to be ex-wife, something like that. Yeah. 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 Brazi- <laughs> yes. Brazilian supermodel Giselle Bunchen, who is, you know, not only, of course, by being a supermodel is incredibly rich, um, mm-hmm. far more, made far more money than he did playing football. So, you know. Yeah. We are about to discuss the Crystal Palace match, but before that, I would like to read a word from our sponsor, ourselves. <laughs> we would like to remind you guys about becoming a Gooner U superfan. So you can click the link. It's in every show notes uh, for the episode. It should be on YouTube as well in the description. I'll make sure it is. Uh, that's actually something I should double check. Um, but uh, basically, when you become a Gooner U superfan, you get several benefits. Too many to list here, but but I'll give you a few. So... The first and most important is you support us. You keep the show going. You help make it possible for us to keep on doing this. We love doing it. We hope you love listening. That'll allow us to keep on doing it if we're actually able to get some, make the show better in some ways, right? Like there's things that we could do with the show that right now we're kind of resource constrained on too. Um, you will get early access the night we record. So, hey, today we were recording the same day as the match. So by roughly 11 o'clock Eastern time uh, in the U.S., you could be listening to our thoughts from only, you know, several hours earlier um, from when the match ended. So um, we post those in a special feed that you get access to when you become a member. It'll have the early rough cut that gives you 
same night access, you will also have in that feed ad free episodes. So if it will cut out what you're listening to right now, for instance, but when we have uh, another sponsor, like we've had liquid IV and we've had Zencaster in the past, um, that section will be removed. You won't hear it. Um, you will also get in your feed occasional bonus content. Sometimes we'll talk about things like a Ted Lasso episode about Arsenal, which we did uh, a couple weeks ago, or the history of the world part two and other fun things uh, that may or may not be related to soccer that Keith and I enjoy talking about. We have additional uh, bonus content for you sometimes. And uh, I'm going to make this offer today, uh, at least for the first several people who sign up, we will give you a shout out during the episode after you join. We will thank you by name. And so you get to become part of the show. So for all these amazing benefits, what does it cost? How much is it to become one of these Goonie super fans that help keep the show going? Only $1 a month. It's practically nothing, but it makes a big difference to us in the aggregate. We'd really appreciate it. Whatever support you can show. So click on the link. Uh, it's from our show page. You can join right there and that'll give you the special subscription link that you can get all that bonus content. So thank you for joining. We know you will, and we appreciate your support. The Crystal Palace match. I, I finished watching this like half an hour before we went to record. It's very, very fresh in my mind. Um, wow. Uh, I mean, my, my first thought is it's very weird seeing Crystal Palace in the stadium that is AFC Richmond from Ted Lasso's home stadium wearing jerseys that are almost dead ringers for the jerseys that Richmond wore like in the second season, I think of Ted Lasso that that was very funny. They went with the half red, half blue. I think maybe which one is on which side was switched, but very, very similar looking <laughs> jerseys. Did you, did you feel that? Uh, well, I mean, I, again, this, this comes from the different way. And I think we talked about this way back when we first started watching the show, I think it sort of comes from my background, you know, watching them once they, they, the first scene of where they show up in London and they walk out into the the stadium there. I I said, Oh, that's, that's Selhurst park. It, mm-hmm. Indeed, it was Selhurst park. And I, I suspect, I mean, obviously the seats there are colored red and blue. And I suspect the red and blue colors that Richmond uses are, they're using the red and blue because they're at palace and those are palaces colors. Um, it is interesting. I, as I do recall in the, the first, I don't know if it's the first episode, but the first ep- the first with the first game they actually play with him as manager, they play Crystal Palace. So um, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I'm sure those the, these these things are all connected. Um, but yeah, they're Palace. That's that's what they are. That's their look. Um, that's yeah, that's Palace. Um, uh, but yeah. it's interesting. Uh, is it not, usually half and half like that, like divided vertically. They go. They usually do vertical red and blue stripes. Occasionally, they'll go with a half and half. There was one year they actually did fairly recently. They did a, a bunch of sashes, just like a solid color with a different color. It was just a, one sash across the front. Uh, but basically, yeah, Palace is a red and blue club. Uh, very similar in a lot of ways. I think there's a historical connection sure. in terms of their colors between them and Barcelona. Uh, so there, I think there's a little bit there. Hmm. But um, yeah, this. I mean. Oh uh, yeah, obviously, obviously yeah. they look they look like uh, Richmond, but you know that is that is not an easy place for us to go, Sellers Park, and so it was it was a big it was a big step for us. We opened last season with a win there, and to do it again, mm-hmm. regard, especially considering the circumstances, which we will talk <laughs> yeah. about. Uh, but but to, to to do it again is is it feel that feels good. I mean, you know, we'll we'll get into details and things that are concerning or bothersome, but. You know, let's start with a basic presumption that 
three points at Palace is a very good result for Arsenal, especially the way they ended up doing it. Right. Yeah, it definitely... <laughs> I felt embattled for the last, you know, half hour or so of that match. It was, uh, it was, it was intense. That's, that's but, the uh, word. Yeah, that's the word for it. Um, I, I did think it was interesting from the jump. We started out with our lineup. Um, you know, that Gabriel was on the bench again. Right. So there's a couple of ways, I think, maybe to read this. There's the more sensational one, which is that we talked about the Saudi League earlier. Uh, Gabriel has been the recipient of an offer from the Saudi League for a substantial amount of money. I, I, the sense I've gotten is that there, that's not actually very likely to happen. Arsenal doesn't want him to go, and I'm not sure how much Gabriel really does want to go. I, I mean... If somebody offers you the kind of money you're talking about from the Saudis, you're going to think about it. But I, I mm-hmm. but you know, so that he's now been on the bench two consecutive games makes people wonder: Is this? Mm-hmm. Um, but we talked a little bit about it, certainly for the Forest game, and I think this is, one was true as well. Um, we used uh, Ben White in as a center back. Uh, Party was back playing as right back, and it does allow us to go forward a little bit more. We're still, we still don't have Zinchenko regularly. He was able to, he came off the bench in the second half. Um, you know, look, look pretty good for, for the limited time he got on the field. And I think that's sort of, you know, we talked about in terms of the depth chart, right? Here are your, your guys. I don't think Arteta really thinks about it quite in the same way. It becomes more about combinations and sort of without Zinchenko and possibly even without Timber and looking to be more offensive, Gabriel is Gabriel isn't as useful a player, and so perhaps that's so that he may not be necessary. That as we go forward, if Zinchenko is now going to be back in in the side more regularly, or perhaps we're going to face a game where we expect to, I mean, we're going to be on the front foot in most of our games. Perhaps not like Forest, for example, was very deep, was holding very deep seeding possession. Maybe you know Gabriel works his way back in. Um, Certainly, it'll be more useful when we, you know, when we get to European competition. Uh, but I thought that was kind of interesting as well. The expectation seemed to be we were going to be much more, much more forward. I mean, Palace is not going to sit back and defend the way um, Forrest did. I, I, I mean, I do you, would would you say that's fair based on what you saw? Well, I don't know. Definitely, the first half. I mean. Th- it felt like they were doing nothing but defending. I, I don't think that was necessarily their intention. I think we were just dominating the game. We just were pounding them relentlessly the entire first half. Um, and, and certainly once we, once we lost a player, uh, they were relentlessly attacking us. Um, so yeah, no, it didn't, it didn't feel like they were trying. It felt, I guess it felt, it did feel like they were trying to score more than Forrest. I did. Yeah. I mean, we're, right. And that's, and, and that's the way you, I think said that is is helpful in that it wasn't their plan to sit back and defend. You saw that with Forrest. Forrest said, go ahead, have the ball. Right. The expectation was <laughs> they were going to be sitting back deep and letting Arsenal come to them and packing the box. I, Palace was not trying to do that. Now there's a there's a bit of a talent gap and you know the there obviously we, the you know, I mean obviously when a player picks up a red card as we'll talk about that changes a lot of things about the game. But, you know, they were not sitting back. And I did think they were definitely more dangerous going forward. And I think some of this stems from not having Gabriel. Some of it stems from, I think, 
so, so many players, especially in the midfield, uh, but also, you know, pushing farther forward. It opens you up in the back a little bit to some chances. I thought Saliba was very good today in terms of snuffing out a lot of opportunities. I mean, you know, you sort of saw that they had a couple of chances here and there, but overall, actually, I thought we, especially in the first half, I thought we were the better team. We were, I don't know if it was unlucky or unskillful in terms of not converting a few more of our chances. Yeah, I, I, it's tough. Like there, there weren't a lot of really clean chances where you can easily fault the technique. I think the one that I really did fault the player for was like just two minutes in. Um, Martinelli had a what appeared to me at the time, and they didn't really show a replay of it, but he had a wide open net with like just, I think one defender between him and the keeper and not directly in front of him where I felt like he should have taken a shot and he hesitated and ended up squandering and passing it away. And they ended up losing possession without even him taking a shot. Other than that, like there was a bunch of missed opportunities where they, they did come close. It was under pressure. I mean, it was like, it was not ideal circumstances, I guess, you know, I guess that's why technique matters so much as you, in why you practice it, you are very seldom under ideal circumstances, but yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Luck or skill. That's, that's a tough one for that. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's, they'll talk about this. I hear this a lot in the context of hockey, but it's true also, I think in soccer because of the way the two, the, the ways in which the two sports are very familiar or very similar to each other. Obviously we think a lot about the very visually attractive goals you have to be able to score the ugly ones too. You know, the kinds where you, as you said, you don't always get clean looks. I mean, you know, sometimes it takes a bit of skill like Sokka, like we talked about the curler he had last week, which, you know, again, he can do that, but that's not an easy shot to create, even to put mm-hmm. yourself in a position to take that chance. And he does a really good job to do that. But a lot of times you wind up in kind of the ball bouncing around or you, somebody squeezes into space. I mean, in some ways, the the more, the more typical goal to see would be if we were thinking about last week's game, the first goal where Martinelli, even if we're charitable in saying he meant to make that back heel pass, mm-hmm. you know, it still takes Inkedia another couple steps around a defender, fires it low, it deflects off somebody, not a bad deflection. I mean, Trossard's goal against City and the Community Shield deflects off a player. You have to be putting yourself in the position because it's it's hard to score goals. I mean, you know, the game ends mm-hmm. two to one. It, it, 90 in 90 minutes you scored one goal every half hour you know in a 2-1 mm-hmm. game so you have to be able to get to that and you know some of this is is narrative driven about certain teams who can or can't win titles um which is i think a bit over determinative the team that wins the most ends up winning like it kind of <laughs> kind of folds in on itself but you you want to be a kind of team or able to be a team that takes advantage of those opportunities and is successful and, 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 you know, really get, and can force things that aren't the prettiest. Speaking of ugly goals. Um, well, I mean, for one thing, there, there are certain shots where they manage to get it, even though they're falling or something. This happened to Enkedia during this game. And you're amazed that it even hit the post that it even managed to come that close given the circumstances under which he was hitting it, right? Um, there was a goal like that in the League's Cup. Did you watch the highlights or anything of the League's Cup final? 
Um, I, I remember seeing them. Uh, particularly, they keep showing the one of the two keepers taking shots. So I've seen that yes. one a bunch of times. That that was pretty amazing. <laughs> um, but the last play of the match before it ended and went to penalties, the one player from Miami was approaching the goal, had gotten past the keeper, had an open net, but like he had fallen and was kind of sliding towards the goal and. Again, just like got his foot on the ball, but only enough that it just barely went wide or bounced off the post or something. He couldn't quite get it, but it was just from one of these circumstances where again, you're like, you're happy that he even got that close to it. And I feel like that's a lot of what happened to Arsenal this time. I guess that's maybe where I would draw the line between skill or bad, like lack of skill or bad luck is do you feel like they should have been able to pull it out? Like, or was it miraculous that they even got close? Yeah, and right, and it sort of depends. And we've talked about this in terms of like holding players to different standards. Eddie and and Eddie and Kedia miss is different than say if Thomas Party misses it because Enkedia is a striker. He's supposed to score Mm -hmm. goals and convert those chances. When Thomas Party shoots it up into the seventh row, it's like, well, at least it wasn't the twelfth row this time. Um, (laughs) And that was good on him for recognizing the opportunity and not being afraid to take the shot. He did, he did try that. That was, yeah. And that's, and again, that's, and that's part of what makes him a striker is, is sort of that, that mindset that when I'm here, I, you know, they talk about strikers being selfish. Sometimes you have to be that you have the ball and I I want to score a goal. And some ways, look, it's better that I take the shot than let somebody else who's not as good as me take the shot. That's, you know, right. It's actually funny. That was something during the coach training. So part of what they were teaching us, instructing us in was when you have a scrimmage, right? You can, you have opportunities to freeze the match and like blow your whistle, call it out or whatever. Say, okay, stop. Let's talk about what just happened with everyone in their current positions. What should we do differently? And what was interesting is the way that they were talking is, you know, what one thing, cause there's always a big gap for me compared to these other coaches. The other coaches are coaching 11 year olds, right? Mm-hmm. Which is a world of difference between the, you know, four to six year olds I've been coaching and even the six and seven year olds I'm about to start coaching this season. Um, but for me, it's always like pass the ball, pass the ball, because you've got this like herd of kids all moving as mm-hmm. a pack through the field. Right. But with the 10 or 11 year olds that that we were practicing coaching on yesterday, it's not necessarily always pass the ball. It's why do you or why don't you pass the ball? If you have a clear shot, you take it. End of story. If you pass the ball, it should be because that's the best thing to do at that time. That is the right thing to do. It's not about, well, I'm a striker. I'm going to shoot because I'm no, don't. If you, if you, if you don't have a clear shot, if you have like a a fraction of a percent chance of getting it in, no, figure out a different way. But when you're a striker and you have the shot, yeah, take it. Like my point of view on that has definitely changed. All right. Are you ready to talk about the second half and Tomiyasu? <laughs> well, do we, do we want to get to Tomiyasu or do we want to start with, with, uh, with the penalty? That would be more appropriate chronologically speaking. <laughs> and I do, and I, and to be fair, I do think it leads into how we'll talk about some of the other stuff, but yeah, okay, the penalty. Sure. I mean, y- y- you saw the play. What did you think? You know, it's, it's tough for me. So a lot of my experience firsthand with goalkeeping, like I wouldn't be going anywhere near that ball that someone is that close, like running at, I, I don't know what the expectations are for, 
for a professional keeper at that level of play, um, it seems like he should have probably had a sense that he was going to knock the guy over. Um, but at the same time, he was also probably, I think the commentators had said that he was basically drawing that foul too. Like he kind of could see that the keeper was going to go after it. And all he needed to do was put himself in his path and he knew that he'd get a penalty called in his favor. So and I can kind of see it both ways. It seems like, yeah, it was, it was a pretty egregious result regardless. He had the chance to score that was denied by the keeper ultimately. I, I hear the your apprenticeship and the goalkeepers union coming through in that in that comment. <laughs> That's a that is a penalty every day. He yeah. I mean, does Inkedia draw it a bit? Sure, he comes he comes at it and they point out he he really only needs to get a touch on the ball, but he's yep. making a play on the ball. The keeper comes nowhere close to the ball, cleans him out. Uh, that that is a penalty every yeah. day, every time. That is a. That is as stone cold as you get. You really don't. I mean, you really don't see the Palace players really arguing the call that much. Yeah. Um. And because I, I mean, they, everybody kind of knows that's a penalty. Um. I did think it was kind of interesting having Odegaard take it. We, yeah. Saka is typically our lead, our lead penalty taker. I. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, he did a nice job. It was a really solid penalty. Very sure. calm, nicely converted. Um. They did, they did, and we saw a little bit of this, I think, last year too. There did seem to be the gamesmanship there where Sokka was the one holding the ball, spotting it, you know, getting all of the, the comments from the people, the play, other players and the fans. And then he puts it down and Odegaard steps up and just right. sort of takes it without any of that stuff. So, right. little gamesmanship there, but I, I thought, um. Well, I wonder with some of that too. You know, it, I kind of thought of this when you were talking earlier about that MLS story with the person who's not a keeper actually blocking a penalty shot. That doesn't seem crazy to me because so much of the gamesmanship that we talk about with taking penalties has to do with the striker anticipating what the keeper is going to do, who is trying to anticipate what the striker is going to do. And it's, you know, like four dimensional chess that they're playing, right? When you've got somebody who's not trained in that way to be thinking like the goalkeeper, he's going to do something unpredictable that maybe a regular keeper never would do that results in him being able to make that save. You know, well, and I wonder, it's, yeah. yeah, it's usually the other way around The the striker comes up, the comes up with a plan of what he's going to do. Now, some of them are going to try to play games with the keeper, but a lot of them, you, you don't want to do that because you want to, you want to take your penalty with conviction. You want to step up to the ball, decide I'm going to go here yeah. and then just, you, you hit it as hard as you can in the direction <laughs> you want to. And if the, even to the keepers, you've seen a few times, I'm sure you've seen enough, enough penalties at this point, you can guess the right way and still miss. If you hit it in the right place with the right conviction, there's no keeper in the world that can stop some of those shots. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, the, 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 in that sense, the, the keeper's the one is reacting. They sort of made this comment during the game that, you know, in a lot of ways, it's, it's a mind game to the keeper who's sort of preparing himself, thinking, okay, what does Sokka do? He likes to go here. I need to be thinking this way. And then all of a sudden you see Martin Odegaard and like, whoa, 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 I wasn't, I wasn't thinking about Martin Odegaard. And there's mm-hmm. just, again, all it takes is that moment of doubt and hesitation. I mean, Odegaard has, strikes it nicely. Keeper yeah. goes the wrong way, so it's not real. But, but Even if the keeper know. had gone the right way, it was so close to the post that he probably wouldn't have been able to stop it anyways. Yeah. And you don't know how much that adjustment caused some of his, some of his indecision or some of his movement. Right. So, um, but overall, yeah. Um, it was it was a clear penalty and a good and a good conversion in games like this. You need that sometimes. Yeah, yeah, and it yeah it, it was not how I would have preferred to score our first goal, but I feel like after all the blown attempts in the first half, we kind of earned it. 
I mean, at a certain point, you, you, what you realize is there are no bad goals. So, uh, you know, would you have preferred the goal to come whatever way? I don't care. <laughs> they're sick goal. The point is, you know, the team that scores the most goals wins the game. So I want, I want the goals. You know, it, there's a part of you that always feels a little bit bad if you get an undeserved penalty. But also then, but then you just think about all the times, wait a minute, we should have had a penalty there. Screw right. you. We right. do. No, I didn't deserve <laughs> this. So yeah. it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, uh, that happened toward the beginning. That was, uh, the 51st minute that that penalty happened. So that really set mm-hmm. the tone for the first half of the second half. <laughs> um, but yeah, clearly I've been itching to talk about, uh, Tomi Hasu. So his, his first yellow card happened only a few minutes later in the 60th minute. I was a time wasting. He had the ball for a throw in and the commentator said later that he had taken around eight seconds to mm-hmm. throw it or so do you know what the guidance is for the refs like how much is allowable like how much is generally i mean i know as a keeper holding the ball waiting to return it to your team i've read it's like six seconds is how right. long they expect the keeper to have the ball before he clears it is that is right. the same for throw-ins no with the, with the keeper it's it's the six seconds i don't know if there's an explicit rule for the throw-in i think the sense is they want to get a sense that you're moving i my suspicion is and this was i listened to a little bit of the post game while i was you know doing dishes after dinner and I, my impression, what they were sort of suggesting, because Tomiyasu takes about eight seconds, which isn't really that long, it comes after Kai Havertz basically sort of rolls around with the ball for about 30 seconds. Uh, and my suspicion was there was something, it was almost more of a team yellow at that point. Like, Tomiyasu isn't <laughs> yeah. delaying, but any delay he has on top of what Havertz has already done sort of stands out a little bit more. And we've talked a little bit about this, that notion of the point of emphasis. We're going to emphasize mm-hmm. time-wasting and I think this is where Tomiyasu, and this was some of the, the, the discourse, the official discourse, I should say, that surrounded some of these issues that there are going to be penalty, there are going to be cards issued and potentially even players ejected. I think they said there were five, five reds this weekend on yeah. the Premier League, which is a lot. Um, you're going to see a lot of them being given out, yellows or second yellows or even some reds given out for this, this kind of time wasting thing that feel really harsh. But they are falling with the letter of the law, even if they've just never been called before. And so I feel like in this instance, in the first, Tomiyasu got caught up in that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, which, you know, is something you can kind of, you know, grin about, which he did, like, you know, when when that happened in the 61st minute. It's like, okay, fine. Give me a yellow for time wasting, I guess. Mm -hmm. But then, yeah, it was in the 67th minute when there, there was very, very slight contact with a player from Crystal Palace. I, I, well, how do you feel about that? I don't think that Tomiyasu really deserved that second yellow card. That was a bad one. Yeah. And it's, and it's, it's a bad one on several levels. The first is that there's minimal contact. I don't, I, it's, you can sort of see how it's full speed. Maybe it looks like he pulls the shoulder back and, and, you know, depending on the circumstances, you could call that a yellow. But then, of course, you see the replay, and there's barely any contact. It's it's just it's an unfortunate and a bit of an. I mean, I don't. I want to hesitate about saying embellishment because diving is a is a foul or is a car is a cardable offense. Mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not saying it's that, but definitely, as they say, he makes a meal out of it. He definitely he, he makes sure the referee knows I have gone to the ground. You know, <laughs> um, it, it's a bad one, and they point this out. 
because it's a yellow, yellow, it's a second yellow, yellow cards are not reviewable. If that right. had been straight red, then he could have gone to the video and what the VAR and watched it, but second yellows cannot be, cannot be reviewed like that. Yep. That's a bad one. And that's, that's where you want to be careful. I mean, in a sense, Tomiyasu smiling about the earlier yellow. I'm sure a lot of Arsenal fans were kind of like, uh, like we're not th- we're thinking about it in terms of the great injustice being done to Arsenal as opposed to oh no Tomiyasu has to play with a yellow now you kind of put yourself in that position where he does that the the really doubly frustrating thing and again I think this some of that comes down to what we just mentioned cards are going to get issued or a card that was issued for something you know earlier that time wasting card now comes back to bite you on this theoretical foul what frustrates me is. In some respects, yes, if he pulls him back, that's a foul. But that's a foul that has gone un- gone uncalled. We saw many times in the City game. I mean, how many times did we talk about Ro- talk about that Rodri tackle on Odegaard? Mm. Like, eh, eh, oh, 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 what? <laughs> um, you know, we saw some of that in the Forest game. Heck, yeah, we saw this play earlier in this game. Players getting pulled back by the shoulder in other places, and and nothing is called. And so for that to pick up a yellow, right? Especially given the circumstances in which it's given, that being a second yellow, is extraordinarily frustrating. Um, yeah, that was not it's not cool. Not yeah, cool. yeah. So then that really drastically changed the rest of the match. I mean, yeah, we all of a sudden the ball was on our half for. I it felt like the rest of the game, like we only had a couple brief glimpses of a chance that didn't, I don't think, I don't think we even had a single shot on goal that I can remember. Maybe we had like one or something, but like practically nothing. And uh, yeah, we're just defending. We're just like kind of hunkered down. And it it was really interesting seeing how Arteta handled it. The specific substitutions he made just bringing on the rest of our defensive bench, basically. And like, you know, some of the more defensive conservative midfielders like Jorginho, um, that was really interesting just from that perspective, seeing what he did. And it certainly helped. I mean, it, it, it worked. <laughs> we, we pushed yeah. him back. I mean, that's kind of what you have to do when you pick up a red like that, especially a player like Tomiyasu, who's more of a defender. And given the circumstances of the game, you want to be a little bit more defensive. So it wasn't a surprise to see Gabriel come on or Martinelli come on. Um, and then, yeah, as you point out, as the game went on, I mean, our last two substitutions were Zinchenko and Jakub Kivior. And then yeah. we also saw, um, as you mentioned, um, who we talk, uh, now I'm just drawing blanks on names. Jorginho um, was one that came on. Gabriel came on yeah. immediately. So, yeah, you're right. You're emptying your, the bench of your defenders, and that's going to lead a lot of the attacking players to get pulled off. I did actually think he wasn't on for very long, but I thought, especially Zinchenko, I thought made it definitely help change the pace. There was yeah. like a nice spell of maybe 30 seconds or so where, as you saw, we were under yeah. siege. We're clear, just clearing the ball away, and they pick it back up. Once Zinchenko came on, there was a nice little sequence there for look, about 30 seconds where mm-hmm. we were able to ping the ball around a little bit in their end, not necessarily leading to a shot, but just, just moving the ball around, maintaining possession, forcing them to chase a little bit, running a little time off the clock. And at that stage, that was really, that was really yeah. helpful and effective. You know, it's nice to see, nice to see Zinchenko back, and you know, immediately, immediately contributing to a to a to a sequence like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, give give Ramsdale a little bit of a mental break. <laughs> like, okay, <sighs> okay, let's <laughs> let's get ready for the next onslaught. <laughs> and, and give and give all of them is a and Tim Gollum is a uh, is that that kind of thing. 
Mm, yeah. So yeah, no, it's uh, I was glad when it was over. Oh God, I mean, and then you get to the ninety-minute mark, and there's seven minutes of stoppage time because of all the time wasting yeah, and you know, yeah, stuff. Yeah, like that I mean, but on. but but get used to that because that's what we're mm. going to be seeing. As we said, they're they're using that World Cup time. The games are going to run longer. I you know I I mean I kind of knew how long it was because I knew the score, I knew the result going into it. But you know, in the sense, like I'm. I was sort of mentally prepared for that for a lot of extra time because that's that's just going to be what it is. That's just how the game is played yeah. these days. Is going to be the season, certainly in the early going, and so there's nothing to get angry about there. That's just that's just what's going to happen. Yeah. Well, I have a couple questions that came up during the match. Uh, one thing in the first half, they had to stop for a little bit because Declan Rice, I don't know if he'd gotten like hit in the head or, or what happened, but somehow the commentators were indicating he had some kind of contact lens issue. And, and it definitely looked like they were holding up a mirror in front of his face while he messed with it. Um, and, and it occurred to me, I've never seen a soccer player that I can think of wearing like sport goggles or something. I think back to my youth and watching like, I think Horace Grant, I think was an <laughs> NBA player who always had the sport goggles on. There was always like one or two notable players who had that, like in different sports leagues. Is that not the case in soccer? I've never seen it. Um, yeah. I mean, we're also, you know, I'm watching most in the age of, of not only contact lenses, but also LASIK. So right. a, a lot of guys, I, you'll see a lot of with contact. Every once in a while, you'll see that guys losing a contact or it gets, Kind of weird there. Obviously, you and I know a little bit about the need for corrective lenses. Um, <laughs> I can't. I can't do contacts. I just like fingers near my eye. Just, just me out. <laughs> but so I. I don't quite. But I've seen enough. I know enough people who have that who deal with that. Like that's we wear contacts. That's just the thing. And these are people who aren't professional athletes involved in a contact sport. So mm, I can imagine. Sure. I've you see it now and again and. Sometimes you'll you'll see them like see every once in a while you'll see guys like looking for one in the grass, which just seems like an awful sort oh, of set of circumstances oh no. yeah. for so many. Or you know, or in the case of rice, like it sort of popped out or kind of slid out of place and they're kind rolled of probably it. up into his eye socket. Is what happened? Yeah, it exactly. Rolls, like above, like into your eyelid. Yeah. Which just even saying that gives me the willies. <laughs> just I can't. I can't. Uh, I, so, I went through a I went through a period of a few years where I wore contact lenses. Sometimes the tough thing for me is I have an astigmatism, so the rotation matters a lot. Mm-hmm. And it was just frustrating that it would like if it, if the rotation was off even a little bit, like it yeah. was just. I, I'm happier with glasses, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah. So uh, next question, I noticed their keeper, which first of all, so they were saying his name Johnston, even though there was a trailing E on the end, which I would have thought would have made it Johnstone, but I guess it's Johnston. Fine. Yeah. Um, I saw him repeatedly spitting on his gloves and it takes me back to baseball and like, you know, spitting like spit coming anywhere near the ball is a no, no. <laughs> In baseball, right? You get in big trouble for that as a pitcher. Um, I haven't seen other keepers do that. Is it just to keep his gloves tacky? It, it almost seems like it could be counterproductive and make them make the ball slip through his hands or something. Have you seen that before? Uh, you, well, you'll see like baseball players do it, especially like batters. Not so much the pitchers, of course, like you're not spitting in your band, but you see them with the batting gloves. I, mm-hmm. I think a lot of that's just superstition or weird, yeah. or like weird habits they pick up. I don't think it makes because you think about it, those are large padded gloves, so chances are if you spit into it and like rub it, kind it, of reactivates it just, the it rubber. Just, yeah, well, no, it just disappears. Like it doesn't yeah. like it does. It just kind of evaporates or gets absorbed into the the glove. I think it's just one of those weird habits people pick up. You know, when they're younger, they see you see older players who do that. You know, you know like, okay. I don't think it means anything. It's certainly <laughs> he's, it's certainly not the kind of thing he's going to get in trouble for. 
Right, right. Which clearly, yeah, he he did it enough times. He would have he would have had something I, called yeah. on him if it was against the rules. And, I, yeah. and, and I'm pretty sure. I feel like I may have seen Ramsdale do it before too. I you see okay. a lot of keepers do. I think it's just one of those like weird things that athletes, some <laughs> athletes do. You know, I don't know. I don't think. So if I if I want to look look like a professional, that's what I should start doing when when I'm playing. You know, just yeah, <laughs> show my you mean know, business. Well, you know, I'm, we talk about. I'm, I'm not. I'm actually not joking about this. You do those mind games on the penalties. Just, just <laughs> oh, God, anything I, that said. You, at the level says, I play, I really hope I never have to have someone take a penalty shot against me. I haven't yet, but, and I may never you, be in that situation. Do, <laughs> but, you do, you, but, you, but you do that, and all of a sudden yeah. sort of sends the message. It's like, oh, it's okay. I know what I'm doing. Yeah, oh, yeah go ahead. See yeah. if you can score. I'm, I actually, like, I do this. This is what, yeah. you know, I'm not I'll keep I'm it in my back some, pocket. I'm not just some, <laughs> but again, that mind game, right? I'm not just some schlub who's out here. Um, right. You know, I'm right. So, I mean, it, it, again, mind games. Yeah. Uh, lastly so this is an away match for us our first away match of this season and i'm hearing nothing but arsenal chance the whole match what what was going on with that is is it just that because it's in london there's a lot of arsenal fans there even though it's south london or (laughs) what's going on with that uh there certainly were a lot of arsenal fans although i mean again like all of these stadiums you see it in the emirates too have a visiting section an away section and so it's going to be full especially in London, uh, in, in, a, in a London derby like this. Um, I think, though, they mentioned this in the commentary. I believe they, they pointed out the Arsenal section was right below where the commentary box is. Ah. So I'm guessing they were picking up a lot of that ambient noise. Also, and to our credit, uh, Arsenal away fans have a reputation of being very good. The home fans' reputation has varied. Last year it was really good, but in years past, uh, the uh, even in the old stadium, the Highbury Library, uh, not always being the most raucous atmosphere, <laughs> right. but the away Arsenal has generally traveled well to away games, and the fans who go to away games have done a good job. And there are a lot of instances. There was one in particular I can remember. Um, it's a rather well known game. We we lost eight two at United. It was a it was a rough day. Um, <laughs> and but throughout the game, especially in the second half, you know when the game's long since over, you could hear almost constantly the the away section. We love you, Arsenal. We do. We love you, Arsenal. We just, you know, in that sense that we're we're even in this, we're here and we're not going anywhere, and that's that's just how it is. Yeah. All right. Any thoughts on player of the match? Um, I'm going to throw one out there for William Saliba. I thought um, he was asked to do a lot in sort of the sweeper position, made a couple of really critical tackles, including one very skilled one that you know if he gets that wrong, just a bit could be a penalty the other way. I thought he had a really nice game. Um, you know, like a lot of nice movement from guys like Havertz or Inkedia or Saka to carve out chances. But, you know, we start talking about the, the, the way you judge offensive players as scoring goals and some of the chances that they fluffed or missed. You gotta, <laughs> it's hard, it's hard to reward them for that. And of course the one goal came from Odegaard on the penalty. I thought he was fine today. He was, he was Martin Odegaard. He's, he's, he's good. But, you know, to, to, I thought, if I'm going to pick one guy, I think Saliba did a good job, especially when you consider that even in that late sequence, and I, we were both able to watch it this, well, we, I don't know if you, I, I didn't care that I knew the result. I made sure I knew the score going into the game. I didn't, I don't know if you did. Nope. nope. Watch, watching the second half, knowing how it ends, it, it's a little less nerve wracking. Right. But I also didn't get a sense. There were like one or two instances where I found myself going, <sighs> almost <laughs> but by yeah. and large they don't actually generate a lot of chances uh and a lot of that a lot of clear cut are really dangerous chances 
And a lot of that stems from the defenders. I think you have to, right. you know, Saliba is a part of that at the end of the game, but also some of the work he did because, because we were so far forward, we were, we were definitely being more aggressive going forward. Saliba in a lot of times has to do a lot of that extra work in the back as, it, you know, defending. And there were a few instances they generated some chances because I think we got a little stretched, you know, being beaten on the counter or, be, you know, vulnerable on the counter, sort of like we saw against Forrest. And I think Saliba in particular did a good job of being a being that last ditch defender and making some plays to to prevent those chances. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say William Saliba for, yeah. for man of the match. Yeah, that was going to be my pick too. Um, since you picked him and said everything that I would have said, only better. Um, I'm going to go with Zinchenko. It was good seeing him back. Uh, he did liven up that dreary second half of the second half of the, the fourth quarter, if you will, of this match. Um, so, uh, I was, and he seemed in good shape. You know, it seemed like he was doing well. Of course, he only had to keep it up for less than 10 minutes, but hopefully, hopefully he's doing well and we'll see more of him. So mm-hmm. <laughs> briefly, there were, there were a couple topics we skipped over earlier on, uh, regarding some, so an article that was posted and, uh, a new kit that Arsenal revealed. Do you want to talk about those before we talk about next week? Yeah. Uh, we'll go, which do you, do you have a preference where we start? No, I'll leave it to you. Okay, well, let's let's start with the... We'll keep on defenders. Uh, so this was a piece put up by, by Aris Blog, uh, you know, a daily, just sort of his daily thoughts. There's, there's two sort of things that he's, he talks about. One, it's worth noting that, as you said, that the transfer window closes at the end of the month, which is suddenly next week. So that's <laughs> coming up. Uh, with the injury to Timber, it is not out of the question that we might look to buy another defender. Right. Um, another thing that we can think about in terms of in terms of looking at defenders, uh, this was pointed out, and I had forgot. I knew this was the case. I'd forgotten about it. Come January, you actually have the Asian Cup and the African Cup of Nations. These are the the continental competitions for Africa and Asia. Tomiyasu plays for Japan. Thomas Party plays for Ghana. Both of whom are going to be in those tournaments, and ah. both of whom both of whom are are among are going to be countries that are among the favorites. I don't quite know where African and Asian football is right now and who's really on top and whatnot, but both Ghana and Japan are the kind of countries that walk into those competitions and say, we've got a shot at this. We should be going deep. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're going to be gone for, for a little, for a little while in January. That's the kind of thing you need to think about going forward because once January comes, now you're trying to buy a player to replace the guys that are, you already knew were gone, but you have to take time to, make the deal and then bed them in by the time those new players show up. Well, party and Tomiyasu are, are back. So, um, yeah, that so it, it's something, it's interesting to think about. Uh, you really may do want to look for another defender, even after investing so much in a guy like Timber, him being out and knowing that we're going to lose those guys down the line may cause us to think a little bit differently. So something to think about in the last, I don't know, was it 10 days before the, uh, where the transfer window closes for us. Right. Also, we still have to sell a whole bunch of guys, but that's a different thing. <laughs> sure. Um, that actually reminds me. So David Raya was made official this week, right? Yes, I did. I hadn't realized actually that was, um, it, it hadn't been official when we recorded last time. I think it was like the next day or something. Right. He said it actually was official. Yes, he's there. He was on the bench uh, yep. for the, for this game. And uh, given we, you know, we'll talk a little bit about what's coming up, but you know, we have, we have, Fulham next at home, and then we go to Manchester United uh, before getting into the Champions League. So it'll be curious to see how Arteta plays this and what he wants to do in terms of how he wants to work Raya into the lineup and when he wants to 
what he, what he's thinking about in terms of making that switch. Or or if it's a switch or if it turns into an alternating or how he wants to approach that, I'll be curious to see. Right. So what was news to me as I was reading about the announcement is apparently it's a loan. It's a one-year loan with the option to make it permanent. Is is that right? Yes. That's a, that's kind of a kind of impressive that we got a deal like that because now it's he's much cheaper because you pay a lot less for the loan. And it basically gives you a one-year trial with yeah. both of them. And it could just be Raya isn't ready for that step up in competition. Okay, well we send him back and then we keep we keep Ramsdale. Alternately, maybe Raya's already better than Ramsdale, and then well we go into the summer knowing, guess what? You know, Aaron Ramsdale, you're probably the number two here. Maybe you maybe you think you want to leave and you know, go to some place that's gonna you know, it's going to let you be a starter. So it, 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 or, you know, it does give us, and at which point we then officially trigger the buy clause on, right. on Raya and, and, and purchase them at full price. Um, it, it's, it's an interesting piece of business, but uh, yeah, with keepers, unlike other positions where you can rotate guys in and out, you know, our forward line defenders, midfielders, you can rotate players around. Oh, you just get a rest. Keepers are different and they're weird. And you know, you only play one of them at a time. So. Yeah. All right. Uh, how about we leave the discussion of the third kit as a bonus for superfan subscribers? Ah, we'll see. After the outro. Yeah, this is what you get if you're not signed up. <laughs> or rather, it says what you get if you do sign up. So Yeah, the carrot, not the stick. <laughs> you don't really have a lot of sticks, honestly, to use. So it's kind of. I'm sorry, I wasn't supposed to read that part out loud. But <laughs> So what's coming up next week? Uh, I mentioned it before, uh, Saturday at home against Fulham, another London derby. Uh, so again, talking about our early run in the season, Forest at home at Palace is a little tricky, but Forest at home, Fulham at home. Uh, this is, this is a really good chance to get off to a nice runway. There are still elements of the game where you can see we're not quite clicking. Guys aren't quite in the right place. Aren't quite fitting together as well as you want them to, which is, it's just to be expected. Fulham's another game to work out the cobwebs before uh, the following weekend we go to Old Trafford, and that's going to be uh, that's a very different kind of game. So. Mm-hmm. All right. So remember, if you are a super fan, stick around after this outro for our discussion of the third kit. You will get my live first reaction to their third kit. I have no idea even what colors it is. So thanks for joining us at Gooner U. We're on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and some other places. And as always, we appreciate you subscribing to our show and sharing it with friends. To support our show even more, wink, wink, you can become a Gooner U super fan for ad-free episodes and raw, unedited recordings available the night we record. It's only a dollar a month, and there's a link in the show notes to join. You can follow our show on Twitter at Gooner U Show for updates and to ask questions. Again, my name is Dove, and you can find me on Twitter at Dove Frankel. With me, as always, is Keith, and you can find him in a pub watching Arsenal matches. Come on, you gunners. <laughs>